0: This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics, while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Welcome back to the Leaders We Need podcast. I'm Joel Harder, the host of the Leaders We Need. Today, we are wrapping up a series of discussions on the new book, When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. I'm joined again today by Cole Fakes, founder of So We Speak, host of the So We Speak podcast. Cole, thanks again for being here and for all the discussions that we've had. It's been so great. Thanks for joining me one more time.
1: Thanks for having me. Really really glad to talk about this today.
0: Well, Cole, we've discussed a number of topics, leadership and civility, leadership and disagreement, leadership and prayer, leadership and controversy. For our last discussion, we're going to try to bring it all home if we can. We're going to talk about leadership and you. So early in the book, we read about the role and function of leadership in society citing the work of Harvard Business Professor Ronald Heifetz. He talks about a social contract of sorts that exists in every society between leaders and people. And according to this contract, there are certain powers and authority, roles, responsibilities that we expect leaders to fulfill, but there's also real power and authority, responsibilities, and a role for all of us to play. And we should avoid the pitfall of confining all of our power to the ballot box. All of us can make our voice heard and become part of transforming the leadership culture beyond just our vote. The three-step approach to engaging leaders presented in the book is one way to do that. But today, let's talk practical. How do we put this approach into practice? Today, on The Leaders We Need leadership, and you.
1: When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. In When Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics, while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When leaders matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com.
0: Okay, Cole, get us started. I would really like to hear how your thinking on leadership or your opportunity to engage leaders specifically has changed or have evolved or been impacted by reading the book When Leaders Matter?
1: Well, there have been several things that I've been challenged in my thinking. And then there have been several areas where I just hadn't thought of that before. And one of the areas of challenge is around the topic of disagreement. Mm. And I come at that from both this perspective of being disagreed with as a leader and knowing what that feels like. I think anybody who tries to lead anything is going to know what that feels like. Right. But then also looking at the leaders who are leading me and thinking, do I care about this person as a person or do I evaluate this person just based on whether or not I agree with their opinions or what they're doing? that distinction that you made between the person and the position was something that I really had to go back and think, you know, a lot of times I equate the two, uh, especially with political leaders. Um, I equate those two people become a platform. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm challenged to think person before platform. The second thing that I just hadn't considered as much is the role that I have when somebody is leading me of asking more for the leader thinking about what I can do as a person who's following to actually take part in the leadership process by asking more for the leader that I'm following. Mm. So, um, you know, when I think about politics, especially, and I think about the climate that most leaders have to navigate right now, I contribute to that. Mm. So what is it that I can do to be a resource, to be an encouragement, to pray for the leaders that I'm following, and on an episode like this one, when we get practical, it's just that reminder of these ideas and the things that I've thought about during the book. I have the power to do something about. Exactly. And uh, it's not just a matter of thinking, "Man, I wish our situation would get better." Man, I wish our leaders would do better. Man, I wish people would build relationships with our leaders. It's the reminder that actually, that's my job.
0: Or, or man, the only way this gets better is if we change our leaders. Sure. Our vote and the blessing of democracy is not something to be squandered.
1: Mm-hmm. The
0: ability to choose our leaders. And there are certainly times when choosing new leaders is, is what's needed. But, but these are the leaders we have. And, you know, the election may have just happened or it may still be a few months away. And you do have the power to, to make a difference today. Mm-hmm. It's not just it'll all get better if we can if we can just change leaders. OK, may, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But you can start today transforming the leadership culture.
1: Mm -hmm. There's a really important section at the end of the book on how to practically uh, engage leaders, how Mm -hmm. to put the things that you learn into practice. Uh, What are some of the things that you recommend, some of the things that anybody listening can do to put the approach of When Leaders Matter into practice?
0: Great question, and and let me just begin before I jump into these specific things. I was in D.C. a year ago or so, and I had the opportunity to visit with two members of Congress, one Democrat, one Republican. We had great conversation, and as as we were talking, you know, one of the things that kind of came out of that conversation uh, centered around this idea of wanting to transform culture. Obviously, they're serving in elected office at the at the you know, level of our federal government and the United States Congress. And so changing culture is what they want to do, and they want to do it in a a very positive, meaningful way. And so it's just great insights. And we came up with, there are three very important elements. If you want to change culture, there are three things. The first is you need to know what it is that we will accomplish through this change. And in the book, When Leaders Matter, you know, we want to transform a culture of incivility into a culture of civility. We want to promote civility in our political discourse, and we want to produce integrity in our leaders. So you need to know what it is you will accomplish. Secondly, you need the courage to act. So just what we were saying just now, you can start today. So you know what you're going to accomplish and have the courage to act and get started. But the third thing is this, you need a strategy that will ensure success. And that's why I have presented this approach in a three-step process because at the end of this process, you know what it is you're trying to accomplish. It's going to equip you with the the courage to act. And that's what we're going to talk about right now, some things to begin doing now. And this three-step process is a strategy that does work because I've seen it work. So in theory, this process begins with an internal shift and in perspective you are starting by by just you changing the way that you think so that you're thinking better about the nature of leadership and and the people who are in positions of of authority and holding the position and the person distinct but you know sometimes theory can sound good but putting it to practice can you can have a couple of false starts
1: yeah all, all theory reminds me of that old saying that it's hard to steer a parked car. Mm-hmm. I mean it's these things are a lot easier when you're in motion. Right. And for for this approach what that means is actually putting it into practice, mm-hmm. actually engaging, actually building relationships.
0: Getting started. And you know, ultimately what we're talking about is cultivating relationships with leaders. That takes time. So you might as well get started today. Because it's gonna take time regardless. So for me, you know, I I committed to the idea of holding the the person distinct from the position uh, desiring more for them, asking more for them and then asking more of them I committed to that idea but I did not really begin to see how effective it really is until I started putting it into practice. I would listen to a floor debate and I would I would watch a member debate passionately for or against a bill and you knew, They pretty well decided how they're going to vote. That debate may or may not, probably not be as effective in actually changing the outcome of that particular vote. But their debate was so important because they were able to articulate really important reasons for why they believe what they believed. And they are one of our leaders serving at this time in that chamber, in that legislative body. So I would walk up to that member, um, maybe I'd see them later that evening, and I would just walk up to them and just say, I want to thank you for your debate. You know, your voice is needed. I don't have to necessarily say that I agreed with their position or I'm, I'm sorry that you know, it didn't win the day. You don't have to get into that level of the detail of, or the of the politics or, or, or in any way reveal your agenda. Simply acknowledge the meaningfulness and the importance of their voice, how they used it in that debate. I would find opportunities. I would listen to floor debates and I would go and I'd thank people for their debate, for doing that work, for fighting for the things they believed in, whatever the outcome. You know, another thing that I would do, and I love this, I like to find examples of truly bipartisan legislation. Here's an example uh, recently, you know, I'm I'm not an ag guy, you know, I, that may be something that's really not okay to say uh, in the state of Oklahoma, but you know, I'm not, I didn't come from an ag background. I don't really understand the economics of the agricultural industry other than I know they're very important. A couple of years ago, there was a freshman legislator who's a member of the minority party. And their first year in office, they kind of, they didn't really run a lot of bills. They just went in, they spent a lot of time building relationships with members in both parties. They, you know, voted, they represented their constituents well, but they didn't try to like get out in front of any big pieces of legislation or, or author something. They just kind of built relationships that first year. And then their second year in office, they ran a very significant ag bill and they ran it with a member of the leadership of the majority party. And I just thought that was a wonderful example uh, of one, not only skillful politics and skillful legislating, but their second year in office, they were able to really work and demonstrate bipartisanship to advance legislation that believed was going to really help the ag industry. Again, I'm not getting into the merits up or down of, of that bill. I don't understand them enough to be able to really get into that. I would love and I plan to have that particular member on a future uh, season and episode of, of this podcast. And so I'll let them share more. But just to be able to see that and so to walk up to them and just to just say, I am really encouraged by your leadership and how well Uh, you are representing the people of your district and, and how you are moving things forward for all the people in our state. Just this morning, one more example, I just done the prayer for the opening of the house floor session, and I never just walk off the floor after I do the prayer. I always try to stay on the floor through at least the first bill or whatever the next thing on their agenda item is. I just think it's kind of disrespectful to have prayed and then come down and a member has put forth a motion. To me, it seems disrespectful to them to walk out before they've kind of seen that through. So always wait and hear the first one. And so they were hearing a bill and another member wanted to add an amendment to that bill. At the end of them raising that amendment, they voted to table that amendment. I know I'm getting into the weeds a little bit of the legislative process, but there's a reason. They tabled the amendment and then they voted and passed the bill. And it was really encouraging too, because the author of the bill was very kind to the representative that was trying to put an amendment on the bill. And they actually said, I think it's a good amendment. Let's work on that for the future. But for the sake of right now, we're going to move this bill without that amendment. So I walked up to, to a member that sits next to the one who offered that amendment. And I just asked a procedural question. Now, I understand in the big scheme of things, the bill's passed, that amendment's dead. But procedurally, like what actually happens to that amendment? And, you know, I could go Google that. I could go find out Robert's Rules of Order and I could find out what actually happens to it. But I walked up to a member and I said, you know, what actually happens to that? And we had a great conversation, not long, three, four minutes and they shared with me procedurally what happens, but then they also added a little bit of their perspective of, of why it's important that they do that. Knowing that the amendment wasn't gonna get added to the bill or passed, it was still important to do that that work. And it may seem wonky or procedural, but it's meaningful. And the reality is is you know, legislating in the legislative process, it can be pretty cumbersome and it can be wonky. And so to get into their world, because they've got to navigate that, and to simply just ask a question. So what happens procedurally? And what's underneath that question is, why is it important to do that to you? It builds such a positive rapport and a trust, and they know that there's a genuine interest that I have in their work. They don't wave magic wands and pass bills. They have to do hard work. And so not just leading with, well, I... They should just pass this law or pass this bill or get rid of that one. They can't wave those magic wands. It takes time. It's a process. So really sympathizing with that work that they have to do. It's a great way to connect you with them. So these are just a couple ways that I just began interacting and dialoguing and engaging with them that begins building that kind of positive uh, relationship and rapport they now look at me and know that, that I'm someone who's sincerely interested in them in their leadership. And I am encouraging them to persevere even through a, an amendment that didn't get added. Those are a couple examples. But in the book, I give three tips. You know, Not everybody is chaplain of the house and gets to stand on the floor of the house. I understand that. But this process is for anybody and everybody. So I give three quick tips for how you can get started today. And you never guess where we're going to start. The first place that you can begin putting this into practice today is on social media.
1: Well, I think that's, I'm glad you brought that up because it's easy to say, well, you're the chaplain. You get to do the in-person stuff. Yeah. But most of us do encounter our leaders, you know, almost every area on social media. Yeah. And uh, I don't think it's an understatement to say you see the best and the worst of people yep. on social media. And typically it's the latter. But if you're encountering social media and you're seeing your leaders there, you also have the opportunity to um, contribute to the conversation, yeah. not just with the leaders, but about the leaders on social media. And I think that's probably where a lot of people encounter and interact politically is on social media. Yeah.
0: And, you know, social media has done so much good. You know, it's connected us in ways that we've not been connected before, but it's not a particularly profound statement to say social media has brought out some of the worst in us Mm -hmm. and social media can seem like a really, really dark place, but light always shines brightest in darkness. You know, being a person that just simply interjects kindness is like a breath of fresh air when everything that is around you seems so unkind. Mm hmm. There's a simple rule that I have for social media. Being negative accomplishes almost nothing. Being positive can accomplish almost anything. You know, For better or for worse, politics seems to be a game played on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it really is true. You really can engage in the conversation through Twitter, especially at the state level and local right. level. There is real... Dialogue and back and forth and conversations that happen on Twitter, on Facebook. Being negative in those uh, environments, it's a little bit of an overstatement for me to say it accomplishes almost nothing. Because we all recognize it actually accomplishes a great harm. Our overall dialogue seems to be spiraling down. But specifically, personally, it accomplishes very little. If you're negative on social media, they're not going to put personal weight to what you're saying. If you're being negative, it's just contributing the larger downward spiral of our, our civil discourse. However, if you'll be positive in that environment, it will be a breath of fresh air. And what it also does, is it opens up other doors to engage them further. Never underestimate the power of 140 characters. Something as simple as, Representative just wants you to know, I prayed for your family to be blessed today while you're at the Capitol. Have a great day. That really does impact them. That really does positively influence them. And they will remember your Twitter handle. They will. Whatever picture you got up there, they'll remember it. Mm -hmm. Being negative accomplishes a little. Being positive can accomplish quite a lot. You've read the book how might you interact through social media, maybe a little differently?
1: Well, it's it's definitely easy to act negatively on social media, uh, actively or passively, whether that's replying or whether that's just uh, retweeting things that you agree with or, or, or comments maybe that are cutting or something like that. But you know, one of the things that I think is a good rule of thumb for social media if, is if leadership is about relationships. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that social media does is it takes commentary basically and separates it from relationship. We have to keep in mind that we're still in relationship even on social media. Yeah. And so don't say something on social media that you wouldn't say in person. And so that doesn't eliminate everything that could be critical, but it's a great first step to say would you say this in the context of a relationship? Let's continue to envision leadership being done in the context of knowing people, building relationships, the goal of facilitating a relationship. And if you're saying things that you would never say in person, you're actually closing the door on some of the most productive things that you could be doing in engaging your leaders. Mm-hmm. So that's a rule that I've adopted. I think one that, as I was reading the book, thinking to myself, it's so often that people say things that they would never say in person. Yeah. Um, and if And if this really is about building relationships, then don't say anything you wouldn't say in
0: person. Right. One more comment about social media. Really, it's been very encouraging to see how the elected representatives have become very important conduits of information to their districts. You know, the state health department is putting out a lot of really good data and important information statewide, and they've got everything kind of broken down. But then these legislators are going in and they're taking that data and they're they're making it very specific to their districts. And you've seen the Facebook and the Twitter profiles and pages of elected leaders kind of go into hyperdrive in the midst of all this as they are relaying very helpful and important information to their constituents, especially in an emergency. We are looking to our leaders for information um, I was talking to this communications director, and you know he was sharing with me that the inability to do you know town halls or to engage with constituents in normal ways, a lot of the members he's talked to uh, have been kind of surprised to find that they're actually more connected with their constituents in their districts because they've become more intentional of how they've used and utilized the social media platforms and digital communication. Obviously, they want to engage in person as well. But digital communication, social media, is a powerful way to communicate and, and connect. And in a way, this particular emergency situation we've been in has just emphasized that engaging on social media is effective. Mm-hmm. The second way to engage leaders is through their office. You can call their office, you can email and engage them through their office. And why it's so important. There's two reasons. It's because they always have systems in place to respond to constituents. So when you go through their system and process of engaging them through their office, you are going to jump into their existing system that they have staffed and a process in place to be sure that you're actually engaging them now i'll tell you just like on social media a lot of that engagement and a lot of those phone calls and emails can be pretty negative so when they get one that's positive it's a light in the darkness it's a breath of fresh air so utilize that process because it's there and it's there for you and you are a constituent they want to respond to you and connect with you but there's a second reason why it's so important to engage through their office almost always any correspondence that comes through their office will begin with a member of their staff. And in the Oklahoma State Capitol, most of our legislators have a legislative aide that serves you know them specifically, or sometimes a legislative aide will do that for two members. Uh, members of leadership often have multiple staff members, but there's gonna be a staff member who will be the first person to see that correspondence. If you engage them in a positive way, the first person that is gonna hear that and see that is their staff. And these are gatekeepers. These are people who are helping to get information and correspondence through into their member. And if you wanna impact their office and their whole day, start with encouraging their, their, their LA. And they are encouraged, LA's are just as as encouraged personally when they see a positive note that's meant for the member uh, as the member is. And so you you can not only just help encourage that leader, but you can also encourage their staff. And that can really change the environment of that office. The third tip that I would give is this, engage them in person. Legislators, elected leaders, they're always out in the district. Whenever they can be, if they're not at the Capitol or in session, they, they're around the district, usually pretty easily by going to their website, you can kind of find or go to their social media uh, page and they'll they'll let you know where they're going to be. Find something that they're planning to attend and go to it. And when you go there, make a point to go to them and in person, introduce yourself Encourage them and say just what you'd say on Twitter or or what you put in a in a in a message through their office. Say it to them in person. You know, it may look like you're getting the typical political response. You know, the, they'll you, know, you thank you and that means so much. And you may wonder, okay, are they just saying that because they're a good politician, or does it really mean something? Do it not just once, but do do it a second time, or go to go to a third event, do it a third time. And what you will discover is they'll remember your face and they'll remember your name. And what will end up happening is they'll start seeking you out. You, you start engaging them in person, in the community, around the district, they'll start seeking you out because you've become a person of encouragement to them. You become a person that is that is challenging them to lead with integrity and it and they value that and now you're cultivating a kind of relationship that really can influence them to be a better leader. You know, most of our leaders at state and local office, you know, they're just they're good people who have a desire to serve, they're burdened to, to do the work of serving in this political office. And many of them don't necessarily have political aspirations to go on to higher office, but some of them do. If you will begin now, when they are a state rep, or a state senator when they are more accessible, just practically because of the logistics of having a smaller constituency, if you will begin engaging them and building a meaningful relationship with them now, who knows that as the wheels of their political fortune turn, you're not able to continue to be a meaningful, positive influence that's encouraging them to be a better leader down the road when they're serving in Congress or at higher levels of leadership in our state and nation.
1: Yeah, I like that you included going through their office. That's an element I hadn't thought about, but um, it's set up for that purpose. You know, it's, As you said, it's staffed. There's a system. They want to hear from you. And uh, I'm just thinking about what a, what a difference, a kind word, encouragement, just your support, just saying thanks for representing me well can make not just to uh, the leader themselves, but to the teams that they're building. And uh to the teams that are serving us. And that, that was a great idea and something I'm gonna take advantage of.
0: Remember, this is a long game. What takes time can be timeless. As we are taking the time to build that kind of positive influence and relationship and rapport with our leaders, you are positively shaping their leadership. And then there will come a time, there's an issue, there's a challenge or a need in, in your life, in your community, And you need to have a more detailed conversation. If you've gone through this process of engaging them, simply desiring that they are better leaders first, one, that conversation is going to go much better than you think. They may not agree with you. I'm not saying that you do this so that you'll get what you want later. That's not what this process is about but it's going to be a much better conversation. It's going to be a much more fruitful conversation and you'll find that it's that your input is really valued and heard. The second thing also to recognize is that you'll become more judicious about those conversations. Too often when we are just defaulting to the the sense of incivility and just the the state of our politics right now, anything and everything that we disagree with, we want to jump on and talk about. Well, maybe not anything and everything is really going to be all that fruitful of a dialogue. If you focus on encouraging them to be simply better leaders, you'll be a little more judicious to know when those deeper conversations about a specific issue really are needed and those conversations will go better. It really is about helping our leaders to be better. Because when our leaders are better, we are all better. This approach to engaging leaders, it will result in producing civility in our politics and producing and promoting integrity in the leaders that are serving today. But I also think and believe that if you're the kind of person who will begin putting this into practice, one, you'll be encouraged to discover this does work, but you also get better at it. You'll become more effective in making your voice heard. And you will also be sharpening the kind of integrity in yourself that we need to see and the leaders that you're engaging and you'll also be a needed voice that's actually promoting civility in our culture if you will put this method and this approach into practice you will become the kind of leader that we need all of the leaders that are serving right now in office one day will not There are are future leaders that will sit in those seats, serve in that office. New laws will be passed, new legislation debated. And we need to be not just promoting civility and integrity in our leaders today, but we need to be promoting it in a generation of leaders that are to come. I truly believe the potential for the innovation, creativity, the height of, of political debate and dialogue is still ahead of us. And we need leaders that will get us there. Well, Cole, I want to thank you again so much for being part of these last few episodes, diving into this book.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me and thanks for the work that you're doing. I hope these conversations both inform and inspire the people who are listening, the people who are reading the book, that they have a role to play in leadership. That's one of my big takeaways is I have a role to play. Here's a method to engage. And I need to start doing it.
0: Thank you for listening to the leaders. We need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.